good to, good to be here with a church family and uh, to be able to share uh, God's word with you. So I'm going to ask you a question. How are you feeling? Bing. <laughs> How are you feeling? Oh, okay. <laughs> is, there, is there a meh in there somewhere? Nah. Yeah, uh, yeah, I can tell. I, can, I look at you, you know, I, I know what's going on. Have you ever hesitated to ask somebody at church how they're doing? You know the people I'm talking about, right? You ask, and then suddenly you get the whole list. That's <laughs> like, oh, wow, they're not doing so well. Maybe I won't do that again. You know, it's not a bad question to say, how are you feeling? Because in this day and age, everyone's subjective emotions are far more important than objective truth. And we're going to talk more about that next week, because you got me next week, too. Oh, no. <laughs> He's feeling honest. <laughs> That's good. Anyway, you can leave. <laughs> you know, actually, truth, truth is hard sometimes. sometimes the truth rubs us the wrong way. And we prefer sometimes the falsehoods that make us feel good, make us feel really good. By the way, I don't particularly like the true doctrine of hell. There's a reason for that, because so many of my own loved ones are there because they rejected Jesus Christ as their savior in this life. Praise God, after 39 years of praying, my mom came to the Lord uh, eight months before she was killed in a car crash. But my dad's mom, my last conversation I ever had with her after Jan and I were married like 46 years ago, she said to me, I could care less if I go to hell. Okay. So my response is, well, then don't be surprised if you find yourself there. And that's hard. I do not like that. I'd love to be able to say that all my other grandparents, my aunts and uncles, are truly in a better place. I'd love to be able to say that. I can't because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, actually, our emotions, our emotions are merely a gauge for what we actually believe. By the way, the right, this side of our brain is sort of the rational side. This is the emotional side. So, this, the, by the way, the longest distance in the world is not from here to the heart. This is the distance from here to here. And what we believe here takes precedence. And some things we believe are completely true or mostly true, like being mostly dead, Princess Bride. OK. Yeah, I know stuff. <laughs> What we believe may be partly true or partly false. Mowage, that dream within a dream. <laughs> it's not always a dream. What we may believe may be false or worse, completely false. For instance, this I'm going to talk about next week. There's absolutely no such thing as absolute truth, which is silly. I'll talk more about that next week. That's why we have to ask ourselves the question, why do I feel this way? Oftentimes, it's because what we've been taught. A lot of times, it has to do with experiences we have had in life, hard experiences. 
And those experiences and, and things we've been taught, they fuel any false beliefs we end up with in here, the right side, about ourselves, about others, about life, and yes, about God. Our emotions, actually, it's so interesting, last week, Nick said this last week, and he didn't even know what I was preaching on. He said, our emotions are a gauge, but never a guide. And he said that, I went, oh, how'd you know I was preaching on that next week? He said, I didn't. So I said, well, somebody did. Our emotions are just a gauge, but they're never supposed to be a guide. There is a, uh, those of you who know me, and you've known me for a long time, I a big, grew up outside of Broadway. There's a Broadway show that called Plain and Fancy that said, follow your heart. Whenever it calls to you, whatever it tells you to do. Oh, isn't that good? Remember Debbie Boone? Some of you are old enough to remember Debbie Boone. <laughs> it can't be wrong. So right. There you go. <laughs> there we go. Okay, you didn't do it. <laughs> oh, yes, it can be wrong. Jeremiah 17.9 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I can't. Neither can you. Thinking that our emotions will always guide us accurately is dangerous. Here's an analogy that I uh, came across 50 years ago, summer of 1972. I was doing summer missionary work in Montreal at the World's Fair. And, and Moody Bible Institute had sermons from science when I was just 20, whatever what I was, <laughs> I was 21. Campus Crusade sort of had a track. I couldn't find the original picture of it, but here it goes. Emotions are just the caboose, the, the engine is God's word, is truth. Our emotions must follow. Truth, not the other way around. Satan will always ask you, well, how are you feeling? How, how are you feeling? And he'll keep pushing on that. He wants the caboose to rule our life. He wants all of that to rule our life. And Satan also says, well, has God really said? Remember, that was the original temptation. Why does Satan say that? Because he wants us to stop trusting in the objective truths of God's word. So that's, there's this tension going on. God always asks us, what are you believing deep down? Deep down. Why are you believing it? Much more probing questions, much more difficult to deal with, by the way. So the question is, is God's truth the engine for your life? Or are your emotions leading the show? Is the caboose in control? The title for the sermon is Plumb Line. So I just want to, there's, there's a famous Leaning Tower piece. I could have used a plumb line, um, evidently. Actually, it was the, the soil that it was built on. When I was a, a brand new Christian, summer of 1970, I was saved with a French relative uh, on the coast of France, and she wanted to. Uh, install some vertically vertical striped wallpaper. Great idea. We didn't have a plumb line. So we got it all done, and you walk in the room, and you go like this. 
She did it for her son. I laughed. I'm not sure he laughed when he walked into that room. A plumb line is necessary so you get things right. And what's the plumb line for truth? It is the word of God. That's the plumb line. That's it. Can I say that again? That is it. It determines how truthful what you and I are believing really is. It also plumbs the depths of why are we believing that stuff? God's word asks all of us, do you want my truth or do you want your truth? That's a big phrase. Well, it's my truth. We want God's truth. And one of the things we, go in, we, we latch on to these things are our life experiences. And they're back again. There's the experiences are part of our life experience, of our life. And they create all kinds of emotions. Anybody here ever have a bad day? <laughs> Any, anybody who didn't raise their hands, uh, you're lying. Um, and you're deceiving yourself. <laughs> some are not always earth shattering or faith shattering, but some are very harmful verbal, emotional, psychological abuse from family or school. You're stupid, you're ugly. You're fat, you're weak, you're fill in the blank. Anybody ever have an experience like that? Oh, yeah. How about you'll never amount to anything? Some people have had that. This was from my family. You're book smart, you have no common sense. Yeah, I put a stop to that when I was about 55. <laughs> <laughs> It, it took me a long time. <laughs> I said, that's it. Sticks and stones may break my bones. But words can never hurt me. What a stupid rhyme. That's so not true. In some, uh, in, over the years, I was pastor here. So many people have experienced earth-shattering, faith-shattering-ish experiences. Physical abuse. Yes, sexual abuse, way too common. And worse, satanic ritual abuse. And it's so horrific because it's so demonically inspired. There's a lot of awful stuff out there. People have gone through that. But it's not just those experiences we've had. It's what you end up believing from all those experiences. The lies you believe. Well, I'm dirty then. I'm a loser. I'm a failure. I'll always be. Well, I deserved abuse, and I still do. A lot of battered women have that one. Well, God let this happen, so he must not care for me, or he himself is some kind of abuser. Oh, you hear that kind of thing. Any thoughts of who's behind all of that? Satan is. Satan kicks people and the fanny. And they shake their fist at God. And who's laughing in the corner? Satan is. By the way, here's a great verse for anyone about the abuse of children. Jesus said, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. How does God feel about that? Really strongly. All those experiences, people try to numb themselves from all that got to find a way out of that. I want to have a new experience. I want something great, you know. 
Isn't that behind a lot of the alcoholism? Behind drugs? On sex that numbs you to the inner pain? New Age stuff, it's all over the place. Eastern religious experience. By the way, it's interesting. Church can also be a place where people go for a new experience, and there's a danger, can, can be a danger in that as well. There, there's a song that I love. We, we've sung it before. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, right? Let us experience the glory of your goodness. I get the emotions behind that. I do have a question, however, because I like the Bible. I just like the Bible. Does it mean that you walked in here, that he wasn't here, and we have to welcome him here? No. Why not? Because he's already indwelt. Next slide. Don't you know that y'all, all y'all, this is the southern version, all y'all are God's temple. That's the corporate body of Christ. All y'all are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But don't you also know that you individually, don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? So it's kind of, kind of weird to say, oh, yeah, welcome. No, he's here. And by the way, what's he done for believers? We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God for the day of redemption. That's good news. Signed, sealed, and delivered. We're his. <laughs> now, so when, we, so when we say you're welcome here, if we're saying we're glad you're here, I have no problem with it. But you know, there's a lot of songs today. We want more of the Holy Spirit. We want more of you. More, 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 more. More, more, more. How much of the Holy Spirit did you get when you became a believer? Did you get his big toe? And then it works up the way to his ankle? And you get up to his knee? No, you get the whole Holy Spirit. For if anyone, Romans 8, 9 says, does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not belonging to Christ. And 1 Corinthians 12, 13 is such a super important verse. For we were, notice how I made all big, we were all baptized by one Spirit to one body. What does all mean? There you go all baptized by one spirit and one body. When? At the moment of conversion. You're placed into the body of Christ. By the way, we're never commanded to be baptized by the spirit after that. We are commanded to be filled with the spirit, and that's why we were all given the one spirit to drink. So I don't know about you, but I had a second blessing and a third one and a fourth one. And the fifth one, we should be having a lot of more of that going on in our Christian life. So we have to be very careful, very careful. It's not we need more of the Holy Spirit. He needs more of us. It's just the opposite. We need to ask him to fill all those dark spaces, all those dark rooms, dark closets. Have we had those? Yes, we have. Does he need to fill those dark spaces? Yes. Will he barge on in uninvited? No. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here to go into those dark places. I need you, Holy Spirit. We need him to speak truth to the lives that we believe. 
which are the root of our emotional pain. Because what's the plumb line for truth? God's word. God says, God desires truth in the innermost part. Actually, here. You can know the word and still not, it doesn't get to that innermost spot. The word of God is our guide for truth, and our emotions can just tell us something's off. I'm a mess. By the way, if you've never, ever felt that you're a mess at any point in time, let's talk. <laughs> because we all need to come to that point. Now, sadly, there's some people who are today looking elsewhere for truth. And they even mock those who, like the Bereans, search the scriptures, saying misguided things. And this is by a very popular pastor these days. Quote, because we fear being deceived, we trust the Bible more than the Holy Spirit and his special anointing. Jesus did not say, my sheep will know my book. It's his voice we're to know. Now, does the Holy Spirit guide and nudge us in our Christian walk? Sure. Have you ever had you sort of going and go, stop? Okay. <laughs> go. Talk. Okay. Talk to that person. Oh, okay. I don't want to. Tough. <laughs> I want you to do it. We've, he he's nudges us. And I, we thank you for that. Thank you for that. But is it warranted or wise to pit the Bible? against the voice of Jesus and the special anointing of the Holy Spirit? I don't think so. Is the Spirit-inspired Word of God the plumb line for truth and against which all alleged new special Spirit anointing and revelation must be judged? Yes, this is it. The Word of God is it. Same, uh, same pastors, in order to sort of downplay Scripture, he takes a text out of context, which becomes a pretext, as the expression goes. He said this, well, you know, the devil himself knows and quotes the scriptures. So why are you depending on scriptures? Well, it's true. Did the devil quote scripture to Jesus? Yes, he did. What did Jesus then go and do? He quoted scripture back, but correctly. That's the difference. Twisted scripture and true scripture. That's how we need to answer the enemy, by the way. This pastor also says the spirit of the Antichrist has a goal for the church. Embrace Jesus apart from the anointing of the Holy Spirit. By the way, do we need the Holy Spirit, live by the Spirit so we don't gratify the, the desires of our sinful flesh? Yes, Galatians 5.16. But downplaying the Bible in favor of new anointing and, state, and, and statements is danger. I've heard one pastor say, if the gospel were enough, we'd have revival by now. Meaning more signs, miracles, and wonders. But let me ask you this. What's the power of God? The gospel is the power of God. Romans. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. But some are putting more trust in modern anointed prophets and private revelations from the Lord than they do in the Bible. Maybe that's why the Apostle John told us this. Dear friends, don't believe every spirit. 
test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone into the world. And by the way, I just have to say this. Um, has anybody ever said to you, well, the Lord told me, and you go, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. Well, the Lord told me. Oh, okay. Be very careful with that. Sometimes those people are unwittingly putting themselves between their listeners and the Lord. Listen, listen to me now. By the way, how many mediators, mediators are there between God and man? One. It ain't me. It ain't you. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, when somebody... By the way, if you, if you feel like the Lord's impressed something on you, pray about it, but don't blab it all over town. You know why? Because Satan's listening too. He's going, oh, I'm so glad you told me that. <laughs> now I know what God wants to do, and I'll just set up a counterattack. Keep things quiet, prayerful, between you and the Lord. There's a Puritan said this. I love this. John Owen. If private revelations agree with Scripture, they're needless. If they disagree, they're false. Wow. That was written several hundred years ago. Vody Bauckham, a modern pastor, said, The Lord told me must never become a substitute for the Bible says. We really don't need new revelation. 1 Corinthians 4, 6. Do not go beyond what is written. How's that for a simple guideline? Keep you from falling off, off the road there. We don't need more revelation. What we do need is illumination of the Holy Spirit of his already revealed, inspired, inerrant, infallible word. That's what we need. That's why Jesus said, thy word is truth. It's truth. The danger with looking for new revelation, they become kind of like Joseph Smith. Didn't he get some new stuff? Yeah, he got the Book of Mormon, and amazingly, in King James's English. That was a pun. You know, it's, it's so dangerous. Deuteronomy 4, too. Moses says, do not add to what I command you. Do not subtract from it. Isn't that interesting? We're going to bump into that in just a second from Revelation, the last book of the Bible. Very end of it. Don't add to or subtract from any part of that. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. Yikes. That should perk up the ears of any who've added to or want to add to God's word. And I'll have to point out there is a modern translation called the Passion Bible where the author, the only translator, all other Bible translations are done by committee. Many scholars. Many scholars. King James, NESB, NIV, is, they're all done by a group of people, not by one. And his Bible adds a lot of stuff that's not in the scriptures. It's his, kind of like his commentary. He's just filling it with his own theological musings. And he did so despite what Peter wrote. No prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. 
And he's talking about the original scriptures. The original ones. Not new stuff. And by the way, I just have to tell you too, if you go on YouTube, the, uh, the author of the uh, Passion Bible on YouTube claims to have been taken in heavenly vision to a heavenly library. And Paul said, he, you go to 2 Corinthians 12, Paul said, well, I'm not going to tell you about what I saw. It was quite incredible, but I'm not going to tell you about that. This guy says, well, he was taken in heavenly vision to a heavenly library, and Jesus showed him chapter 22 of the Gospel of John. How many chapters in the Gospel of John? 21. Huh. That's kind of odd. So God thinks the Gospel of John is lacking somehow? Proverbs 30, verse 5. Do not add to his words or he'll rebuke you and prove you a liar. That's a strong verse. Revelation 22, 19. If anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and the holy city which are described in this scroll. By the way, there's another modern pastor who has decoupled the New Testament from the Old Testament. The Old Testament has sort of become irrelevant. It's the New Testament that counts. Well, I'm sorry, but Jesus fulfilled every jot and tittle of the Old Testament. And we're going to see he opened it up to those two guys on the Emmaus Road. The Old Testament, you can't decouple it from the New Testament. The Old Testament is relevant. Not just the new. It's so dangerous. There again, it's sort of an example. Has God really said, well, yes, he did in the Old Testament. So pay attention to it. Adding or subtracting from God's word, his revealed word, gets, his word gets demoted to second-class status in some circles. And then there's the run-of-the-mill run believer like me, you know, I just happen to believe the Bible. They actually say that I believe, I would believe in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. That's what's, that's the slam that comes. Well, no. Sort of like the first century Gnostics who believed that they'd reached this sort of higher level of knowledge of God. Excuse you. Um, just <laughs> and this higher knowledge. I, I was in one group of pastors, one of whom is sort of more, uh, more that way, and he patted me on the shoulder. He said, you're almost there, Mac. And I'm like, mm. <laughs> thank you for your condescension. So that's enough about that. Now I've got to get to the good Bible believers because I'm not gonna, nobody's going to go unscathed this morning, me included. Here's a problem far too many Bible-believing Christians have. They read into the word what it possibly might mean to them. That's called eisegesis, reading into Adding words to Scripture to conform your personal theology. You conform the word to you. By the way, the New World Translation of Jehovah's Witnesses subtracts the true meanings of original words to make the Bible non-Trinitarian, no trinity. That's dangerous. I said Jesus, reading into scripture, what you want to see creates biblical, biblically thin ice, 
I said, Jesus, get I said, Jesus, get you into trouble. Don't read into it. We need to do exegesis. What does that mean? Out of the scripture. What it probably meant when it was written down, what it really should mean to us. That's the thick biblical ice we need to skate on. And that gets us out of trouble. That keeps us out of trouble. By the way, when you leave, there, there, I have some handouts of these final, final quotes. And I'm going to read you a whole bunch of quotes. I kind of like my son did when he preached here several, several weeks ago. But some people just say things really well. And so I said, okay, here we go. Randy Alcorn. The title was 2018, Poor Bible Interpretation Let's Us Believe the Bible While Denying What It Actually Says. You can believe the inspiration and inerrancy of God's word, but because of your subjective interpretation, because your subjective interpretation doesn't center on the human author's or divine author's intention, but on what seems right to you and the secular or the, or the church culture, the Bible really isn't your authority then. You don't let it correct your thinking, but walk away with an interpretation which conveniently supports your comfortable beliefs. Good Bible, good church-going people can do that very easily. This reminds me of the challenge small group Bible studies face when the main question can easily become, what does this passage mean to you? It's a good thing to ask. Instead of what did it mean to the author? What did it mean to God? Only when we ask that second question can we figure out how to properly apply God's word to our lives. And I see this constantly being not done. We need to teach people not just to read the Bible, but how to interpret it so they don't end up, this is the way he says it, so they don't end up being Bible-believing heretics <laughs> or Jesus followers who follow a Jesus different than the real Jesus of the Bible and history. Woo. I find myself wishing people would know they're denying Scripture and would not feel free to use Scripture to deny Scripture. Because if you're aware that you disbelieve or reject the Bible, there's hope because you can come under conviction and submit to God by, by denying your preferences and accepting what Scripture actually says. If you can't, if you, but if you imagine you believe the Bible all along when in fact your interpretations contradict it, pride can blind you from knowing the truth and the truth cannot set you free. Wow. That's quite an article. The Valley of Vision, some Puritan prayers, just has this statement. Lord, help me to honor you by believing before I feel. For great is the sin if I make feeling a cause of faith. But I'm going to give you the counterpunch here from Jonathan Edwards, the one who started the Great Awakening. Because God gave us emotions. Listen to what Jonathan Edwards had to say. 1703 to 1758. It's a while ago. He says, Our external delights, our ambition and reputation, our human relationships, for all these things, our desires are eager, our appetites strong, our love warm and affectionate, our zeal ardent, ardent. We are depressed at our losses, excited and joyful about our worldly successes and prosperity. But when it comes to spiritual matters, how dull we feel, how heavy and hard our hearts. 
our minds may be tender and sensitive when it comes to these things, easily moved, deeply impressed, much concerned, and greatly engaged. Good sermon. We can sit and hear of the infinite height and depth and length and breadth of the love of God in Christ Jesus, of his giving his infinitely dear son, and yet be cold and unmoved. If we're going to be emotional about anything, shouldn't it be about our spiritual lives? Is anything more inspiring, more exciting, more lovable and desirable in heaven or earth than the gospel of Jesus Christ? The gospel story is designed to affect us emotionally. Our emotions are designed to be affected by its beauty and glory. It touches our hearts at their tenderest parts, shaking us deeply to the core. We should be utterly humbled that we are not more emotionally affected than we are. Wow. Emotions are not irrelevant. God can be grieved, angered. He laughs at kings who reject him. We'll see that next week. We can, get, we can grieve, we can get angry. Even though our emotions can be deceitful and faulty guides, we still need them. Les Pascal, famous French philosopher and mathematician, says the heart has its reasons that reason cannot know. There are aspects to us that we need to submit to God. By the way, going to seminary, seminary can sometimes have the Freudian slip. And it's called cemetery. I just celebrated my 45th reunion from cemetery. I mean seminary. It's, it's too much head knowledge coming in at you all the time. Impossible, impossible to appropriate it all. So that knowledge can puff you up and yet deaden the heart. It's possible. You can't reason yourself into heaven. We must trust the word of God, his promises. We walk by faith in his promises, not by sight, not by our feelings. I hope there's nobody here that thinks they're going to heaven, that growing up in church, going to church, filling your head with Bible knowledge has saved you. It doesn't. Emotionless head knowledge of what Bible-believing churchgoers may be okay with, that's not what saves you. It's coming to know Jesus Christ personally, knowing that a deep need of Jesus. Have you had that moment? I need Jesus. No emotional response whatsoever may be a sign that we really don't know Jesus at all. Does it grip you? 2 Corinthians 5.21. Does this verse grip you? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Does that grip our hearts? You know, 60 years after Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus appeared to John and spoke to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3. Is it possible to become lukewarm? The Laodicean church did. 60 years after Jesus ascended. Lukewarm. What did Jesus say? Blech. Right? Is it possible to lose our first love as the Ephesian church did? Yes. And what does he say to them? If you do not repent, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. The word repent is just to change direction. 
God doesn't change. By the, I use the illustration. If, if, you, if you pet a cat from the tail on up, what does the cat do? <laughs> Don't do that. The solution is the cat should turn around. Ooh, that feels good. Is God ever going to change the way his word strokes? No. What do we need to do if, if it's, if it's our, getting our hackles up? We need to turn around. We need to adjust to it. It's possible for this church, any church, to become lukewarm. It's possible. Our emotions, the engine, they're the gauge of how you feel. Emotions cannot be the guide. It's the word of God. The plumb line for truth. I'm almost done, and we're going to go to the Lord's Supper, and, and you're all going, yay. Let me read. Spurgeon wrote this. I like this. The best interpreter of a book is generally the one who wrote it. The Holy Spirit wrote the scriptures. Go to him to get their meaning and you'll not be misled. So we need to learn what God's word says and so we may know God's thoughts. Thomas Manton, who is a Puritan chaplain to Oliver Cromwell, he said this, if things are dark to you, don't accuse the scriptures as if they were an uncertain rule. Desire the Lord to open your eyes so that you may look into the scriptures. Some desire to have Christ speak from heaven as he did to Paul. Neglecting the word, they desire miracles, all to save them the pains of study, prayer, and discourse. Whoa. Today, and when he said today, <laughs> this is in the 1600s, okay, Today, the mind of God is exceedingly open to us when his providence, his word, and spirit are taken together. They're not in conflict with each other. The apostles laid the foundation and the word, authenticated by miracles. Our duty is only to build upon that foundation, Ephesians 2.20. Be content with the word, which was confirmed by miracles, sealed by the blood of martyrs, in Manton's day, there are more martyrs today in the, in the whole, in the last century and this century than all the other ones combined. More believers are being martyred for the faith than ever before. It's sealed by the blood of the martyrs and manifested to your conscience by divine force. I love this. Obviously, it's the fire of the Holy Spirit that must illuminate that word so that it burns in our hearts as it did for martyrs who died on fiery stakes. And you read that, it's just like, oh, how far away I am from that, understanding what that is. There may come a time where we're going to understand what that is. Those two guys on the Emmaus Road had this to say about their talk with Jesus. Were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Lord, I pray that you'll give us all spiritual heartburn. 
for you. May our minds and emotions burn with the truth of the gospel, which is the power of God for the salvation to anyone who believes. And I pray for anyone who may be watching, and anyone here, if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, now's the time to do, to, do so. Because we come, we'll be coming to the time of the Lord's Supper.